Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for black lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. I'm reading the scripture, uh, which comes this morning from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, which actually I'm just doing 1 through 11, (laughs) 1 through 12. (laughs) So bear bear with me. So uh, what Sharon read seems to be a version of what I'm going to be reading, and I'm sure that our our preacher will do yet a third version for us. This is from the New International Version. Jesus is teaching on prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Creator, hallowed be your name, 
your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to them at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer them. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and, we, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though that person will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, they will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your child asks for a fish, will give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, will give them a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your creator in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Amen.
May the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you. My name is Tom, and I am honored and deeply humbled by the invitation from Kristen, your pastor, to proclaim the gospel with you today. The title of my sermon is Praying for a New World Together. So I want to ask, how are your prayers going? Do you feel deeply connected or rather isolated? Does it feel pointless amid so much suffering in your life and in lives and communities across the planet? Do you feel like you're just beginning and you want to practice more or give up sooner? Do you feel like You've been faithfully living with Jesus for a long time and you've got wisdom and experience that you're ready to share. You know, when someone joins the United Methodist Church, among other things, we as a congregation renew our own vows to participate with them and God in our prayers. So it feels like today's gospel text gives us a safe and supportive space to ask, how are your prayers? We're well into Luke's gospel when we read that the disciples had experienced Jesus praying And said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. There is no way that this is the first time they've seen Jesus pray. There's an even smaller chance that this is the first time they've seen anybody pray. They know what prayer is. So there's something about the process, about the pattern of Jesus's prayers that inspires them to ask, Lord, teach us. And this request is really important for the gospel writer, too. The gospel, according to St. Luke, was written for a largely Gentile community. Church tradition and academic scholarship both believe that the early Lucan communities were made up largely of Greco-Roman converts to the way of living as Jesus lived. Unlike the earliest disciples, these communities might not have been familiar with Jewish patterns of prayer. But, like the disciples they were very eager to learn to pray as Jesus prayed. Teach us to pray is not then a unique request to the disciples. You may find yourself in their inquiring company today. And Jesus responds with a prayer 
and a parable. And for nearly 2,000 years, I think a lot of sermons have focused on the prayer or the parable because both are really rich. But today, as we pray for a new world, I want us to linger with the and. The prayer and the parable teach us how to pray for a new world together. And I think we need to start at the very beginning. Jesus, Jesus, we asked you to teach us to pray. What's with the storytelling? This was a simple request. You gave us good words. We appreciate that. We even put them in our bulletin. Why did you keep talking? We didn't ask about scorpions. We didn't ask about snakes or fish or kids or parents. We asked about prayer, Jesus. But it is good that Jesus didn't just give us the prayer or just give us the parable. By giving us words for a prayer, by telling us a parable, and by giving us reflection questions for discussion during coffee hour about fish, snakes, eggs, and scorpions, Jesus teaches us that prayer is part of our process of life rather than a magical incantation or a psychological method for calming you down and definitely not some mechanical input-output to that great big vending machine in the sky. Jesus has a more holistic, a more relational, a more organic notion of prayer in the life with God that's part of who we are as a community. And the roots of this prayer, Jesus' roots, for this prayer give us a helpful glimpse in his own cultural context as a Palestinian Jew praying was an opportunity to mark the movements of life with intentionality there were liturgical prayers like we find throughout the Psalms when you open the Psalms the little italics at the top that tell you what the Psalms about so many of those are for different moments in the worship service or in temple worship and there were also prayers throughout the community to open awareness to the sacred significance of even the most mundane events of rising to a new day or shearing the sheep or setting your head to the pillow. With this prayer, Jesus introduces sacred familial love into Jewish patterns of prayer that were common in his day. And by weaving the prayer with a parable about the relationship of friends in a time of need, Jesus draws on important cultural patterns of hospitality to shift the disciples' thinking and our thinking about what it means to live life with God. Jesus seems to suggest that praying is an opportunity to participate more beautifully, more intensely, more adventurously in the regular working of God in the world. 
These aren't thoughts and prayers with no accompanying action for justice. No, Jesus has expectations for our prayers to move through our hands and feet as we join God's love in action for the life of the world. Teach us to pray, you see, is a bigger, a bigger request than we might realize. For Jesus instructs us to orient our lives to the sacred significance of our relationship with God, our relationships with our own bodies, our relationships with one another, and our relationships with every other creature on earth. Such a reorientation is an ongoing process of opening ourselves to experience God and be experienced by God as partners in creating a reign of love for the life of the world. As we turn to the words of the prayer, I think it's particularly important to note that the Christian work of dismantling white supremacy and its markers of heteronormativity Misogyny and transphobia depends on prayers, prayers that cultivate life abundant rather than encourage escapism. U.S., American, and European before us, settler colonialism has peddled this kind of Christian notion that the oppressed can spiritually escape to the sweet by and by while their actual real bodies here and now are commodified and destroyed because they aren't white enough or straight enough or man enough. Together, the scriptures today shows us the prayer and the parable that we attend to prayer as part of our whole life with God, self, and neighbor. And praying for a new world is a natural a part of the natural rhythm of relationship that enriches life and the struggle for justice instead of escaping it. So when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Calling God Father may very well have been new for Jesus. Theologically, calling God Father is a challenge for many reasons. For one, it's a challenge to patriarchal notions of fatherhood and the power relations in households then and now. First and foremost, calling God Father isn't the wholesale endorsement of domineering masculinity that we've come to see it in our time. This is a rather queer father. The God who Jesus calls Father is far too loving, far too feeling, far too creative, far too invested in the flourishing of all people to ever be an abusive, omnipotent, detached, misogynistic, toxic, and white-collared, managerial God in the sky. You know that one who's watching us from a distance? No, that image of God that image originates somewhere else than this conversation between Jesus and the disciples. What we have in this prayer is a Galilean vision of God. We have a life with God from the underside of the Roman Empire. For the gospel writer, intimate and divine love is an alternative 
to the Roman worship of Caesar as a god whose coercive and unimpeachable power extends throughout the known world. For those of us who want to live life with Jesus, the process of prayer begins with the affirmation of a precious tenderness that is calling us into a beautiful reign of God with poetic patience and flourish. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Especially in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is not one to back down in the face of systemic oppression. After challenging patriarchal systems of domination in the first line of the prayer, Jesus offers a healing alternative to every relationship that is not founded on and thriving in love. Praying for the reign of God to come, you see, though, is not a quick fix in a time of turmoil, but a commitment to put love in action as God's accomplices in bringing forth justice and abundant life for the poor, the captive, the oppressed, and the exploited. This work is a long inheritance, and it is our inheritance in our baptism. And we won't finish the job on our own. The Greek word that's translated as kingdom may be more accurately translated as commonwealth. Basileia is, is more accurately commonwealth. We won't finish the job of kingdom building on our own because we have been baptized into a commonwealth where none of us are alone. We've been baptized into a commonwealth of interdependence of interrelatedness, of meeting one another's needs in love. And the rest of the prayer in Luke suggests how profoundly related we are in the reign of God. The daily bread for which we pray is our daily bread. It's a collective reception of a single loaf. If I had a blackboard up here, I would do the whole singular plural thing in Greek with you, but it's, we'll leave it there. It's a collective reception of a single loaf. Jesus teaches us that our praying should take an express interest in the present and future well-being of the whole community through a shared meal when our process of prayer recognizes the sacred significance of each and every moment of life, we begin to see our life together around a table where we can name our needs and tend to the needs of others with the faith that we will all flourish with the bounty set before us. And in our life together with God, there are chances that we might mess it up as the opening prayer said. But when we see the sacred significance of each moment of life, we also see that in the commonwealth of God, sin is met with the restorative justice of forgiveness instead of the retribution of crushing debt and incarceration or death. 
You see, instead of a private phone line to God, the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about teaches us to foreground the health of our relationships with one another in the life of God. Experiencing prayer for the relational reign of God radically reorients us to each other and to all our kinfolk in the world, human and other than human alike, for we recognize that God is not just separated out from us needing our, uh, needing our direct prayer. Rather, God is among us, infusing us, animating our life together in love. And the prayer, the parable that comes with this prayer does as much to teach us how to pray for the coming kingdom as does the prayer itself. This parable is unique, by the way, to the Gospel of Luke. So you know it will involve food and the pursuit of healthy relationships. As Methodists, I think we can appreciate that. Food and the pursuit of healthy relationships are holy matters. One friend in the parable has an out-of-town visitor and asks another friend for bread so that they might meet the visitor's need. Jesus praises the faithful persistence of the host. And I think Jesus might assume something that you and I might miss in Berkeley, California in 2022. The faithful persistence of the host is only possible because he and his neighbor have cultivated such a healthy relationship and community over time that even the depth of midnight cannot get in their way. John Wesley, commenting on this verse, recognized the theological wisdom of the parable. Midnight, he said, the most unseasonable time Yet no time is unseasonable with God, either for hearing or answering prayer. The cultivated relationship with our neighbors sets up relationships uh, that in the time of need are seen in the brightness of everlasting light. Even midnight does not get in our way. False gospels of health and wealth, prosperity, center and promote us as individuals. And they misread, ask, seek, knock as the way to gain and hoard all things through God. As if God is a trinity of the vending machine, the butler and the bank. However, the faithful persistence of the host shows us that cultivating healthy and healing relationships in prayer with our neighbors resets asking, seeking, and knocking with an entirely different timbre. As I said earlier, it's no quick fix to the world's ills because this requires a tender patience with God's hopes for beauty love, and justice in our world. 
By opening ourselves to God and one another, we are given opportunities to heal the world and to embrace well-being for all creatures. And when we experience it once, we begin to, to ask and to seek and to knock for that well-being again and again and again. This is, returning to John Wesley, this is John Wesley's whole thought behind the duty to constant communion. When we begin to experience the grace of our community in Christ, we begin to seek after it, ask for it, and knock for it again and again. And God, who is working for good in the world, is ready to answer and to find and to open good. So what opportunities are opening for you? The parable ends rather abruptly, and that leaves space for questions. What meals can we share to give communities Glimpses of God's love. Actual meals, we are Methodists, but also metaphorical meals. What are times of community that we can offer the world so that they know they are loved, that they are cared for, so that we know that we are loved and cared for as members of the household of creation? What relationships in your life need healing grace or the transformation that comes through loving justice? How can you mend the world's wounds with God? How can we come together to help mend your wounds? These are the questions of the praying faithful. These are the questions about snakes and scorpions and fish and kids and parents at the end of the parable. For when we, the body of Christ, recognize our need and the needs of our neighbors, how much greater of a gift can be given through the Holy Spirit. As we are reoriented to one another and to ourselves in God's love, we must prioritize the present and the future well-being of our whole world when we faithfully ask, seek, and knock. Our persistent faithfulness is not about escaping this little rock, three rocks from the sun. Our persistent faithfulness is a holy friendship to enrich life, to put love in action for the life of the world, and to do so knowing that we are never alone. For the God who gives the gift of Jesus Christ is the one who gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us this day and always for goodness, beauty, and love. 
Alleluia and Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.